Welcome everyone back to another episode of Bits and Pites. We are now on season two and episode three. Today we have an interesting guest here named Zane and Suzuki joining us. Um, but before we get into the formal introductions, of course, just like all of our episodes, we have a new dish that we wanted to introduce to the audience um, as a representation of Vancouver City and what how much diversity that we have here. So Today, we have Lebanese food. Um, so this is typically eaten during breakfast times, but it is served all day. So the two dishes that we have here, um, they're called, one is called uh, Zatar Manouche, and then the other one is Lambi Ahin. Um, I may be butchering these names, so apologies in advance. Um, but just to get a little bit into what these dishes are. So uh, za'atar is actually means like a mixture of like culinary herbs, spices. And um, in this case, it is kind of ground up into a paste and spread over a flatbread. So it is a vegetarian dish that we have here. And um, as you can see inside, there's like some sesame seeds as well as herbs that are kind of ground into it. Um, the other uh, version that we have here is uh, as I mentioned, lamb biahin. Um, so this is a minced beef uh, flavored flatbread. So as you can see here, it has um, some beef as well as a bit of spices as well. So we're going to give it a try uh, and share our thoughts on the dishes. And then, yeah. This is meant to be like a warm dish, cold dish. It's supposed to be warm. So it did get a little bit cold during the <laughs> okay, delivery. Okay. But um, no, it's fine. yeah, usually the bread is uh, served like freshly baked out of the oven and they serve it hot. Um, sometimes they do have options to have like cheese, tomatoes, um, onions as well. Um, but typically it's just served plain with the tar spices. Cool. Zane, yeah. have you ever tried this before? I think I have. I just okay. could not place it on where and when. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in Lebanon. Uh, probably not Lebanon since I've never been. But <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> I went to school with someone from Lebanon, so he okay. might have he might have shared some with me one time. Okay, oh, sweet. Nice. Well, give it a shot. See yeah. how it goes. Which one are we starting with? Um, I'm gonna try the meat one. Okay, if you guys want to tell the difference. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, there's some crunch in there. Mm. Good ASMR. There's no crunch in mine. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> Did you do one of those things where you give me something different again? No, I... Oh, but you know, we could do that. We could just make a really... <laughs> oh, that's really good. I think I got all pita, so... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's mm. really good. Yeah, it's like super savory, and there's like a little bit of like, I don't know, is that cinnamon or something? I don't, I don't know what I'm tasting. It's like a little bit of sweetness in there, too. Yeah, are we eating the same ones? Oh, I think so. I need the other one. Yes. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we can try the other one now, too. So yeah. we're going to try the one that's the um, just the plain uh, spice mixture spread. Yeah, because there's, I'd say this one's like more muted. Mm. I haven't had the other one, but I'm assuming since you guys were all like, oh, it's full flavor. And I'm like, this one's kind of not. But there is like kind of like um, a little bit of almost sour taste to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit. Not not too much. Mm -hmm. so yeah. I was very confused there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other one's like citrusy a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really good. I like yeah. that. So like this is meant for breakfast. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Mm. I can see that. Yeah, like this is usually for breakfast, and obviously we kind of cut down the portion size of it, but it's yeah. quite large. It's about half a pizza diameter, I would say, and when it's folded over. So I, pretty hearty breakfast. You, I can see you filling up on this for sure. Mm-hmm. Let me try the other one. Which one do you like more? Hmm. They're both good for different reasons. Like, I feel like the meat one's so much more filling, mm-hmm. whereas the other one is just very refreshing. Yeah. It's almost got like a tea taste in it. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of almost want to grab like the second one because it's like breakfast for me. It's <laughs> grab and go. It's not like a sit down and enjoy my flatbread mm-hmm. kind of experience. Yeah. It's kind of like on yeah. the go. Yeah. So. It's already folded in half, but you then exactly. roll it up and you just exactly. take a bite. Yeah. And I mean, you can honestly, we have, um, so we got this from a place called Zatar Zay. Um, so I think this is the one that's on Granville Street. I remember passing by it, but it's close to one of the SkyTrain stations in Vancouver downtown. So, okay. yeah, um, really good. Prices, I think, are pretty decent as well. Like, um, definitely more on the affordable side, nice. considering Vancouver food yeah. prices. So definitely check it out if anyone's interested in trying this dish. Awesome. Yeah. I've never had that before. Thanks. Yeah, yeah of you. course. All right. So, um, as you mentioned, we have a guest here today, uh, Zainan Suzuki. So, Zainan, um, how about you introduce yourself? Let us know a little about yourself, what you're doing right now. And, um, yeah, we'll start from there. Yeah. So, yeah, my name is Zainan Suzuki. I, um, I'm a, currently a software developer at ECAD Labs. Uh, however, software was not the place that I started, more or less. Um, I was always interested in problem solving, but I, like... For schooling wise, I I head down the I headed down the path of music, um, and more in particular I, in opera performance. So I did my undergrad at McGill uh, in vocal performance, where it wasn't fully opera based; it was more like art songs, so like Schubert and, and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. But once I finished my undergrad, I still thought that I well, I could get better at singing because. Only screaming pretty goes so far with not very being very pretty at it. Mm-hmm. So I um, decided to do a master's as well, where I stayed at McGill. Like I, I applied to, applied to uh, Manhattan School of Music, which I got into as well, but I didn't want to go like one hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt wow. for a music degree. So I'm Probably like, no, a good call. I'm okay. I'm, yeah. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I yeah, I stayed at McGill. I did my undergrad. I did I think five operas at the school. So that's when I fully dove into like the opera world, and then um, since then I like after I finished school I did an opera with a company here, and then a couple solo performances, um, and then when uh, when COVID hit, I was we're, like it was it was already a, a bit of a change, but I also I, I had a a pretty decent car crash as well, which stopped me from singing for a while, and then when I was like ready to get back into the world, COVID was out and about so i'm like okay so maybe it's time to learn a new skill so i went to lighthouse labs and did a, a three-month boot camp and then um eventually like i think it was six months after the boot camp i got hired with a company in vancouver and worked as a, a web dev uh developer um and then uh nine months after that i got hired at ecad labs where i uh started working with uh web3 and tezos tooling software wow yeah. That was a lot. I, 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 don't, I don't know where to begin. But I have so many questions and so many random 
tidbits of jokes. <laughs> um, but okay, so what? Maybe let's dive a little bit deeper because it's not every day we get an opera singer. Yeah. On uh, on here, like, what kind of made you want to go into to music in the first place? Um, I like I I always grew up with music. Like I started I started playing piano when I was I think three and a half. Okay. Um, so I started with piano with my with my family, um, and then when I got into about grade eight high school, I switched into voice, and then mm. I studied voice mainly like pop and musical theater. Okay. But when I got to grade twelve, I was like, okay, if I want to actually go for studying somewhere, um, I I need to actually do classical because yeah, musical theater is it's it's like it's good training, but it's not all round training. Whereas yep. like I'm still able to do musical theater, but I can also do opera where it's harder to go and do musical theater and then try and do opera. Yep. So it's just more overall training. And I, um, like my, my grandmother was an opera singer as well. So okay. I had a lot of music in- influence growing up. So yeah. I definitely stuck with it and, and awesome. kept through it. And so, I mean like Jean and I both have, I'm using air quotes, arts degrees, <laughs> right? Um, hers is in English, mine is in communication, need, neither of which are the art that we're, we're talking about now, right? And like, I think, I don't, I don't want to speak for you, but definitely when I was going through school, it always kind of felt impractical. Mm-hmm. Um, as in like the skills transferred wasn't directly to obviously what we're doing now. Um, how, how was your kind of experience through through university and, and I guess post, post-grad with your master's? Like, was it much more practical because they're very singularly focused on on building out your voice like is your high school voice that much worse than your like master's voice <laughs> i would say probably miles apart like okay. unrecognizable changes um like there's still there's always still like a, a resemblance of it but just in mm-hmm. terms of accuracy quality and um, confidence is just so different mm-hmm. um which yeah which really just took time and and especially with Growing up, like um, puberty is not very kind to the voice. So, uh, yes. uh, shout out to Justin Bieber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was it was navigating the changes as well as like puberty is one point, but the voice changes for males up until like what twenty seven to twenty nine. So that's where like the voice actually becomes more mature, um, and it's it's a constantly changing thing. It's not like uh, an instrument where it's going to stay the same right. over time. Mm-hmm. It may change moderately, but it's going to be a gradual change that will always kind of be in the same direction. Whereas voice, you could have like, you could have a cold and then it's just, it's a fully different instrument that you're feeling. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah. And so I know you mentioned like, you know, going to Lighthouse Labs for three months to do their boot camp. So like, would you say if you were to compare, like what was your day to day, like classes look like when you were at McGill studying like, you know, music, like, I'm just curious because I've never, <laughs> you're actually the first time I know that I actually went to school for music. So like, what was your like day-to-day schedule look like? For my undergrad, um, classes were like, it was, it was my, okay. My undergrad was harder than my master's by, by schooling wise, um, mm-hmm. which is more uncommon than I would say other, other degrees. Uh, but in my undergrad, we had a pretty high course load of, of what courses we needed to do in our four years. Um, at McGill, I think we were the second highest credit amount that we needed to graduate. Um, and we, 
would have more classes that are more like one or two credits. So there were smaller credit courses that would take less time, but still had like whatever prep amount of time that you would need and studying and like, because they were kind of isolated ones where we had like ear training where we would be given a piece of music and be like, okay, here's your note, sing it. Or here's this rhythm bars, like this, this set of rhythm and just tap it out. And that's, that's kind of what we had to do. Whereas with other ones, we'd have like history for my degree. I had to do Italian, French, and German for a year of each, as well as dictate, uh, uh, diction courses to be able to like speak and sing properly in that language without insulting everyone. Um, (laughs) but yeah, so we, we had, I like in my undergrad, my first year, I think I had 21 credits in my first semester, which the limit is 18. The minimum is 12 for a full-time student. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was a lot of credits at the beginning, and then it tapered off like your third and fourth year. But my under my master's, it was like maybe maybe three classes of a week. And but the the only thing is the most time-consuming parts are the rehearsals. And like the practice times that we'd have to do because we're not just there to like be able to um, like remember the history of music or or write down the the harmony of something and and analyze music. It was the performance that we a lot of us were there for. So regardless of all the stuff we had to learn and be able to prove that we had learned it, we had to prove that we were progressing uh, with our instrument. How would you compare like that workload then the intensity compared to like Lighthouse? Because I have heard, you know, I have a couple friends that went through boot camps and they always comment that there was always this, you know, um, comment that was like, it's very, very intense. Like they're like, not everyone's like set out for it. Like um, and the like school environments very different from what they were used to if they went through like college or like post-secondary, like at university, like it's a very, they said it's a very different um, pacing. How would you kind of compare it and what were your thoughts on it? From my experience with bootcamp, I thought it was really good. Um, like I didn't really have any bad interactions or experiences with the bootcamp. Um, I also did mine fully remote, which I believe Lighthouse Labs is remaining. Like it's going to keep, remote as it so um like i found that the remote really changed my experience in comparison to like a friend of mine that also studied at lighthouse labs that did it in person where they were always stressed because they were seeing like where other people were and like having that not even competition but just feeling you're you're Mm -hmm. behind whereas since we're so remote it's it's mainly our own work and then there's like paired program programming ones where it's just like we're going to do this now regardless of whatever other work there is and we can get through it. Like I, I felt like I, I adapted into um, the coding lifestyle and, and just thought logic thinking um, pretty well. Like I've, I've, I've always been like a logic based person. Um, but in terms of like, I always, I would always ask the question of why something is this way and that way I can more so validate why it isn't. And that really helped me get through the boot camp because I can or I've already asked that question of why can't I do it this way and know why I shouldn't be heading down that path. Because like there's rabbit holes everywhere and you just have to learn how to jump over the right ones. <laughs> that makes sense. That's yeah. crazy. So like what 
<clears throat> I guess I guess people listening, I think, are going to be really interested because, like, you've up to this point when you, you know, obviously you were hit with a pretty rough patch in, in that. Well, we all were in COVID, um, but but you know, you made a pretty substantial decision to to kind of you know stop what you were doing, and at this point, you dedicated the majority of your life to studying music, to studying voice, to studying opera, right? To transition over to that, what's the motivation? And how do you kind of stick along with it? And because like you could, you know, you could go to culinary school, you could go do literally anything else. Right. Um, and obviously what's the decision-making behind you that made you go into software. And then, and then as you're going through with it, like were there doubts in your mind saying like, Oh, maybe this isn't for me. Um, like the, the biggest change, like the, I guess the reason why I really did the switch was like, for one, I had a car crash where mm-hmm. it knocked me out from being able to sing. Like singing is, or like a lot of things are, are full bodied. And um, like I, the part that I damaged the most was like my my lower back and, and pelvis area. Um, and from that, I damaged a lot of the muscles that were that are used in singing. So mm-hmm. singing was just not comfortable. And at that point, I was like, I don't like even before leading up to this, I was I never I never knew if music would be my full career. Mm-hmm. Because for one, living in Vancouver and being a musician is just not very sustainable. Like you could have like a full time address here, but traveling around and being other places is most definitely going to be more so your life because there's yep. just there's not enough music here, uh, at least in the the classical sense. Um, so I always questioned whether or not music was going to be like my life, um, and. It when the crash happened as well as COVID, it definitely gave me the time to like, what else? What other things am I interested yeah. in? And I've always been interested in in um, computers and and coding and stuff. And I never really took the dive into it to to learn. Like I would always download these. Oh, learn C plus plus on your phone. And I just <laughs> I don't know. Would look at it for five minutes and then be like, this is too hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the the boot camp really I felt gave me the structure and forced me to go at a pace that I otherwise would have kind of neglected because mm-hmm. I'd be like interested and then I just wouldn't be interested. But right. since I was there to do something and to achieve something, it was, it was something that I um, could dive into and actually go day to day through it. Like it was three months. They, I think they said expect about on average, uh, no, I think they, they were expecting people to put in about 70 hours per week. So it's 12 hour days and then 10 hours on the weekend. So um, it, at the beginning, I would say that I was more so doing around that um, because I was learning so much of the fundamentals of just like how to how to create a variable, what a variable is, how to create a loop to iterate over it, how to make a like a basic program that would say hello world and still not understand what I was doing. <laughs> um, it was yeah, it was. It gave me it gave me these different things where I could see my progress over time very clearly, and it really helped me to see how much further I could potentially go with it. Yep. So, like what you said too, like about you know going through univers or your undergrad and masters, like it's like it helped essentially the camp that you went through. It helped build up your confidence in a very progressive way. Yeah, then- yeah. It, it definitely gave me a very progressive way because it it gave you like. Each week was like a milestone type thing. Mm-hmm. Each day had middle little milestones in it, and you would pretty much validate what you were learning as you were going because you'd be using it 
regularly as you're going through. Um, like for for music, it was a bit harder because the you would have so many like going forward, then going backwards. Um, like the same can happen in coding, but it's like just your physical ability rather than like maybe a blocker that you have. Uh, and like the, the the I think the the largest thing that's I've I've heard on repeat in the the tech industry is imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. which um, yeah, it's it's the feeling like you're somewhere where you don't belong, and as you get more um, blockers that you that you run into, you're like, oh, why can't I do this? Why am I here? I shouldn't be here. But in reality, it's just like it's when you get into the coding world, it's accepting that you're always going to be learning. You're never going to stop learning because tech changes so quick. New, you're like well, a lot of places they're trying to do a new technology. They're trying to do a new ability that something that hasn't happened. Other things may have happened similar to it. You just have to learn how to adapt it to what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. And then those are those that are listening that like maybe you're considering going down the similar mm-hmm. path as you. Um, like, what kind of advice would you have for them before they're going into boot camp or something similar to that, where you know it's the full commitment, it's seventy hour weeks, three months, um, but you're also learning something completely new, right? Um, do people just dive right in, or what advice would you have for them? Like when when I did it, I I dove into um, Lighthouse Labs' free course. Where they give you like, it's pretty. I think it's like Code Academy that that they're just um, directing people to, where you just go through learning the basics of JavaScript and mm-hmm. and how to to do things in JavaScript at a super basic level without even getting into creating projects and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that is the one that probably like I was I was thinking about going into the bootcamp, but I was like, okay, maybe I should actually try and see how this goes first. And I, I really enjoyed the the type of stuff that it was, even though it was super, super basic. Um, it was enough to get me interested to, to go further and, and dive into a boot camp. Like people can learn to code. Like a lot of people are self brought up coders um, where they just have a passion for it and they just don't use a boot camp. They just go and make the things that they're kind of interested in doing. Mm-hmm. Um, Lighthouse is just the, or or the boot camps are more so the things that will get you um, job ready, and that's the whole marketing behind it. It's like we're going to have you able to go and just do a job by the by the end of these three months. You you're able to apply for jobs, and you have the projects behind your back, uh, like on your belt, that show you're able to do the things that they may need you to do. Um, and like, yeah, a lot of boot camp grabs like boot, oh, Lighthouse Labs has a has a impressive uh, hiring rate after boot camps um and but it, it's really just it's just a waiting game because there's so many text jobs that that eventually you're going to get hired somewhere mm-hmm. and the longer you wait while applying as le- at least if you're coding and practicing and trying to get better and learning more you're going to be more hireable and mm-hmm. be seen as more than just a boot camp boot camp grad yeah, yeah. Actually, out of curiosity, because um, I know that, like, as you mentioned, it's about being adaptable. It's about learning and stuff. So do you think, you know, 
in your thoughts, can anyone really just, you know, decide to join a boot camp? And what about those that, you know, they want to test the waters? Like, um, what if, you know, uh, sorry, <laughs> I lost my train of thought here. Um, let me let me reword this. Okay, actually, the direction I want to go with this is, um, let's say you know someone went to the boot camp. Um, they realize, hey, maybe this isn't really fit for them. Like, would you suggest that you know what, guess, just keep going at it? Like, do you think it's something that there's so many different languages out there? Maybe they just haven't found one that they felt comfortable with, or do you think that maybe some people just aren't fit to be um, in tech or? Um, becoming a developer or I think if you don't enjoy logic problems coding is like eh, at least if you don't like logic problems back-end development is not for you if you like creative development front-end is more for you like if you like styling a web page or or making something that you can actually see then it'd be more so the front-end side like there's there's so many different aspects of coding that you can't just say that one thing would mean, okay, no, no coding for me because there's just so many different ways to do things. Like I started my first job, I was a web developer where I was um, working full stack, which means I was working like the the front end where you see the web page. I was working the brain behind it where I was doing everything and I was working the database itself where it was storing and interacting with the, the brain. Um, and that one I got to to actually get a flavor of everything, which was really cool. Um, but now I'm working for a company where we just create the tooling software for uh, interacting with the Tezos web uh, cryptocurrency and and blockchain. So it's, it's it's a lot different. There is no front end that we really have to deal with aside from like maybe our documentations that we that we hand out to to people to actually know how that how to use our stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and other than that, it's just creating the logic even with without um, an, an API to do all the thinking and, and have everything because the API is the blockchain. So it's just we're making the stuff to handle with it properly. I'm really glad that you brought up that, like, you know, it's <laughs> diverse. Like, it's not just, like you said, like, if you're more creative side, if you want to see the results, then, yeah, there is front-end development. Or if you're, as you mentioned, more stronger in problem-solving, there's back-end development. Like, there's so many different routes that you can take that, mm-hmm. you know, as long as you get the basics down, then the opportunities are endless. And also, you did highlight a point, too, where it's, like, there's so many different startups, there's so many different companies, so much different tech out there that you may, you know, there's so many different opportunities to check out. And as you go, like maybe you'll find something that you really, really like. It's really niche. Um, like I remember, this is kind of a little bit off topic, but I think that um, coding is so interesting, but there's so many possibilities with it. Like I know I came across this video where um, this developer was coding artwork, like and it would just, and it would be very intricate art. Like it's not, you know, just mm-hmm. a simple like pixelated tree or something. Like this is like art that you would probably see at a museum or a gallery. And it was just so fascinating that all of it was coded. Mm-hmm. Like it's just crazy how much um, different, poss- or how many different possibilities there are. So I really like, I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I think a lot of people watching this, they're always kind of nervous. Like people talk about wanting to get into tech. And they're always nervous. They're like, I don't know where to start. Like, I don't know if I'm technical enough. Like, but the thing is, is like, 
you know, like you showed yourself, like you went from music into <clears throat> developing and it's a completely, you know, opposite worlds almost. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So yeah, definitely wrap up those two topics. Eric Reese is, is one of the guys that, that did a lot of early digital art. So if you guys are interested in that, definitely check him out. And also just to kind of wrap up the bootcap stuff, we do have an episode with, uh, Crumb on our other podcast, Launch AMA. So if you're interested in learning more about the bootcamp process, learning about Lighthouse Labs itself, you can go ahead and check out that episode. But kind of back to back to what you were talking about with with software development, like knowing what you know now, like you're 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 in, so it's not it's not too far away. Like, are there some surprises that now you're kind of knee deep into to being a developer day to day that you didn't realize, whether it's a perk or it's a negative, either or. Uh, what I've gotten into now is like, there's, there's lots of times where I feel like I've bitten off more than I can chew. Um, like the imposter syndrome. You talk yeah, about. exactly. Mm-hmm. Like my, with my current company, it's, it's web three technology. So it's very like avant-garde. It's, it's mm-hmm. newly changing. It's, it's breaking the stereotype of what is in the normal world because it's you know web three. It's going into mm-hmm. trying to decentralize everything. Um, and I I have to interact like since we're an open source software uh, and company uh, and pretty much entire ecosystem, um, we interact with so many different uh, backgrounds of like coding develop like coding styles and and stuff. Like I'm I'm consistently learning every day, um, and. Uh, like I have to, the, the the hardest part for me right now is is trying to go in, interpret and understand the things that I have no clue what it is. Mm-hmm. So like different coding languages that I just can barely recognize. Yep. I have to go and be like, okay, <clears throat> this is what's happening, I think. And then <laughs> go and try and implement it in our language or like uh, mirror it in our, our language, which is TypeScript and, and get it to be happy and function yeah. because there is a validator which is pretty much our blockchain whereas if it's not done properly it's not, it's just not going to work and we have to figure out how to recreate it in a different language and like I, I should study more of the languages that will be that I'll be coming across more and that way it'll be an easier time but it's just like it's I feel like well no it, what really came into clarity for me was how things actually do just take time sometimes you just you it's not going to happen at once like all at once you have to actually sit and digest it and actually work at things um over time that um will just make make your life easier and that would, that's that's the thing that i kind of didn't really understand in bootcamp since it was already paced i guess at whatever it would be i like when I got out, I was like sometimes getting frustrated. Like, why can't I just do this right now? And it's just because I didn't have the fundamentals to understand and and couldn't grasp that I just mm-hmm. needed to work a little bit more at everything to understand why something couldn't be a certain way. And would it be fair to say that a lot of what you're doing now is because you're creating net new? Mm-hmm. Like you don't know you're doing it wrong until you've done it mm-hmm. right like there's no wrong because nobody's done it mm-hmm. and now that it's a little bit trial and error is like the the term i'm trying to use but <clears throat> i don't want to make it sound like simple mm-hmm. right 
Yeah. So, so it's, it's a little bit like that. And like, I hear a lot around the office, something we, we hear often is, is this concept of F it, ship it. Um, <laughs> so, so I, I feel like I'm sensing a little bit of that with, with the work that you're agree, you're working with the ECAD nowadays. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times it's just like, we have to put it out there and just see, run it through the validator. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's, that's relatable. Yeah. Like we, we try and like, we're, we're very much a test driven uh, company like we we very much we have to ensure that everything is tested and ha- and, a, and uh, both like locally for our own system as well as externally to like we have how many test nets we've got one two I think I think maybe three or four test nets mm-hmm. that are like mock blockchains where it's it's running either the current protocol or a new protocol since Tezos is self amending and self upgrading and um, we have to like we ensure that we actually test these things um, against those test nets, which like sometimes they have bugs. So we'll make something and it's and it's working, but when it's actually corrected by the the side of the people that are actually mm-hmm. developing it, then it's like, oh, it's not working anymore. Mm-hmm. What happened? <laughs> but that that's that's why it's so important for us to be testing because if people are using the software that we're outputting, that like we need to have tested it to make sure that it's working properly as well as have tests that are consistently running whenever we're whenever we're doing anything like we have integration tests where they're going to run every single time we make a change um, and they'll make sure that it's working for whatever protocol we're we're currently running or whatever protocol we're going to be running yeah and and i think one of the things that you have really unique experience of is is like you weren't you didn't go to 10 years of software development and go through web one, web two, you kind of, you know, you've been thrown in for lack of a better term into web three. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of misconceptions and probably maybe some are true. Some, some are confused um, about web three itself. So for, for the layman, for the non-developer, for the non, pretty much everybody in this room that's talking <laughs> right now, um, like h- how can you kind of basically sit, explain like the the potential impact of web 3 to to i think everyday life uh it's that's a that's a loaded question it's a loaded question i'm I'm making you the face of web 3 for the next 30 seconds right like for like i'm I'm still very new to web 3 like i started working web 3 like april (laughs) yeah um but yeah web 3 it's it's the goal to well like the I guess the most basic phrase is, is to decentralize mm-hmm. everything. So it's it's moving it away from um, validations by pretty much banks and and things like that. Like you can have your own or like personal identity. You can have your own identity that doesn't have to be tied to your personal identi- identity, um, and then do things that way. Um, like there's yeah there's so many different cryptocurrencies they all work similarly but but also have their own flavors and and different things mm-hmm. um and yeah it's it's just opening up potential for growth in ways that can be lit, led by more so the community and and people mm-hmm. around the world rather than 
people that care about that subject yeah. or, mm-hmm. or, or piece, right? Like yeah. That's the kind of concept of decentralization. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the, on the other end, because you're new and, and everything, everything is coming at you, like what questions do you have that, that you think we actually haven't figured out in web three yet? Because I think one of the catchphrases is, Oh, we're so early. Um, but that also means like a lot of what's, what the potential could be isn't built or may, may not be built. Um, do you see any, any, any criticisms or questions about Web3 that you may have that, that you think are, are still valid at the moment? Uh, I, I don't feel like I don't, I haven't looked into what the world is saying about Web3 enough. Um, <laughs> like the way that I see it, Web3 is bringing, it's just, it's creating a, a world where there's less hands in your pocket. Mm-hmm. there's just there's less things where people are like i want a piece of this or i want a piece of this and like no you have to give me this if you want to have that and like it's just it's making it so much more individual mm-hmm. um and community validating what things should be and shouldn't be at least in in most web technologies or web3 technologies like it's it's so community driven that if the community decides that they want a massive change or something like even like with Ethereum going from proof of work to proof of stake, it's, it's on the day of recording. This was last night. Yeah, yeah this was last night. <laughs> Still don't know how it's going. <laughs> <laughs> it might've broken the time that, that we're filming this. So. Yeah. But it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's community driven and it can remove the people that may have like malintent because it's so community validated and the community actually has to validate in order for it to happen. It can't just happen. And then the community be like, wait, this happened Mm -hmm. in the, in the ideal in the purest form for sure. Awesome. So I guess like we are kind of approaching our time now. So we're going to bring up the question that we ask (laughs) all of our guests. So in a particular, I guess, your situation, we can kind of think of it as like, let's say you have a startup idea or it can just be like, you know, the company that you're working with, if you could bring on like two to three new hires. So either scenario, what you think you're more comfortable with. But that being said, who would you bring on to join your team? Um, they can be a celebrity. They could be a dead historian. They could be like a fictional character from a cartoon, maybe a TV show. Um, and they can be someone that you already know. So we want to know, like, who would you bring on? And then maybe just a little tidbit about why you would specifically want to bring them onto your team. This is, this is the one I dreaded the most because I just (laughs) don't know. Um, like I, I would definitely want like a a visionary, someone that would have lots of thoughts that could be worked on to be actionable, like acted upon. Um, like the two, two, three people, I feel like like a mind like Galileo where it's, it's someone that is constantly thinking about how to solve a problem. They like, they mm-hmm. think of the problem themselves and then they just go and solve it because they're like, there's a lot of people that will go and like, they'll look, they'll just make stuff without really a, a goal in mind. And that's, I think where a lot of things kind of end up not being as, as uh, like long lasting because it's, it's created, but it's just created. It's not, it's not filling a, a purpose. 
like uh, like I don't know when a car was invented, it was to to get somewhere and more efficiently mm-hmm. than a horse. And you don't have to rest the car for unless you're you know overheating it and destroying your car. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, like a mind like Galileo, um, someone that someone that could pretty much think of of things that need that would need more so need to be actionable. Maybe if they're like way ahead of their time still and and just not not possible like what he he drew a helicopter with with cloth like <laughs> and wood that's impressive <laughs> sweet um so you got galileo yeah mm-hmm. galileo oh, i feel like i feel like minds like that as well as people with with the problem skills the problem solving skills to actually make it into an actionable thing mm-hmm. like you need someone that actually has determination to go through and you know stick through the mud and 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 you need your action jackson yeah action <laughs> jackson <laughs> and yeah. Ah, yeah that's such a hard one because <laughs> i can't i can't just list people because i feel like it just it leaves out so many other people you're the guy that's like oh uh, i have three wishes i wish for three more wishes (laughs) (laughs) oh man it's the burden of a choice you know there's a lot of amazing people out there so it's it's tough and that's only when you're thinking about real people (laughs) (laughs) awesome well thanks so much zane and for joining us on this episode and i hope that you know those that are listening in like i hope this was really valuable especially if you're on the fence about you know wanting to jump into the tech space um so if anyone actually wants to kind of reach out to you if they wanted to connect with you maybe have questions about your boot camp experience or just wanted to chat like can they you know is, is there any way that they can connect with you yeah and they can find me on linkedin i what facebook instagram they're all my first and last name so Pretty easy to find me. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So we'll share that then on the description page for this episode. Um, If you want to get in contact with Zayden, feel free to send him a message. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Um, And thank you everyone for listening in to another episode of Bits and Bites. Uh, We hope to see you guys all on the next month's recording. Take care. See ya. Thanks.